Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Matthew chapter 6, we're continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And we come to a message today that once again, like every other message that has come before, it finds me, and I welcome you, to join me in the deep end. Uh, This is the ocean deep end. Dealing with worry, dealing with anxiety, and the title of the sermon communicates the heart of the Savior. It's not just to know about anxiety, It's not just to study worry, but that in Christ, we actually have as disciples, as children of God, the ability to overcome anxiety, to not live enslaved or defeated by our minds, consumed with worry. What are you afraid of this morning? We all have fears. We all have concerns. We deal with fear. We deal with worry. We deal with anxiety to different degrees in different ways. Have you ever had someone tell you, don't worry about it? Did that help you? (laughs) You don't understand. Don't worry about it. The only thing we have to fear is Fear itself. Okay, that helped you. Put that on your screensaver. Put that on your wallpaper of your phone, and that'll carry you through. Do you realize the most repeated command in Scripture, Old Testament and New, is do not fear, do not be afraid. Over 300 times, I've heard it said that there is a command, do not be afraid, for every day of the year. God will not command us to do what he does not enable us to do. So this is not asking you, this is not asking me, hey, let's all give it a shot and see if we can swim the Atlantic Ocean. Who's with me? If the Lord commands us to do something, then he is the one who must give us the ability to do what he has said to do. That means there's hope. That means there is a purpose. And if you keep this in mind, it has everything to do with where is my focus. The more I look at worry, the more I look at what I fear, the more I look at my concerns, they grow larger. So Jesus is calling us to look away, look to something greater, look to someone greater. The reason that Jesus can command us, do not worry, do not be anxious, is because he can provide the help that we need. Now, beloved, we enter this world And there's something instilled in us that no one has to teach us, and that is something's wrong. Something's not right. And so children say things like, 
can you leave the light on? And you walk out of their room and you close the door and they say, can you leave the door open? The solution to our fear, if you think about it, is often the theme of every rescue movie, every story of redemption and rescue and deliverance, someone showed up who was able. We had no hope. Read your Bible. How many times did the people of God have no hope? In slavery for 400 years, and you're going you're gonna to march your way out of Pharaoh's Egypt? That's a no-hoper. Today marks D-Day. There were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jewish captives in prison camps, and there was no hope for them. They couldn't mount up their strength and march out of Auschwitz. But when enemy invading military such as the U.S. and other countries showed up and the gates were opened and they were set free. These skeleton-like figures came out. They were rescued. They were set free. So that's why children say, can you lay down with me? Don't leave. And you have to get up the next day and go to work. And it's getting later and later and later. Can I just stay in your bed? No. We have, you know, how many ever kids? You have to learn. But it's, it's fear. Something in us. We don't have to teach our children. Something in us realizes there's a brokenness. Now, the title of the message, Overcoming Anxiety, I've been dealing with a little anxiety preparing for the message on anxiety. <laughs> what, are, what are you afraid of? One, I'm afraid that my tone won't come across like Jesus' tone. Two, is that someone sitting here will say, but you don't understand what I'm going through and the sermon won't be helpful when I believe that the word of Christ actually is what every single living person needs. So we're right back to the square one of every sermon that is ever preached. Anything I have ever taught, I cannot make it happen like I try to do in my horrible golf game. The harder I swing at that little mocking ball, the further I go deeper into the woods. So my aim and my prayer is that I agree with you. If you struggle with fear and anxiety and worry, and it, it is a, a real concern for you, then I agree with you. I don't know what you go through. I don't understand what you struggle with, but that does not leave me without a message for you. I haven't been to heaven yet. I haven't taken a tour through hell, and I can stand with full authority on the word of God and say, you can trust in Jesus. You can trust in Jesus. You can look to Jesus. Will you look to Jesus, or will you keep looking square at worry and fear and doubt and everything else conjured up by our minds and by our enemy? Or there's a better way. 
look to Jesus because he understands. And there's nothing that we can say to him that he says, oh, you got me there. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Not the one who made you. Jesus enters into this section of the sermon, and now he's dealt with, you know, what was common in Judaism, the, the public uh, fasting and praying and giving of alms. That was very important to Judaism. But now he gets to the subtle areas that are even more pervasive, and that is the areas of our hearts. What no one sees And if we stumble here, we lose our effectiveness. We can lose our testimony for Christ. Our public worship can become blasphemous, a mockery, if it doesn't match what the Lord sees, if it's not authentic in our private lives, in our personal lives. So we come to what we think about. Jesus is dealing with our desires, our deepest desires. He's dealing with our motivations. He's dealing with our possessions, what owns us. And so someone might say, well, I'm I'm not possessed by love of money. I'm not possessed by uh, some type of addiction for this, that, or the next thing. But that person might be really wrestling with and in the grip of worry, fear, anxiety. And it just feels like a merry-go-round day after day that they cannot get off cannot exit. So the question is, are we counter-cultural, like the series, or are we conformed to culture? Are we like everyone else, or are we different? That does not mean that if you are a child of God that you don't struggle like everybody else does. We all have struggles, but there's something different, and it's distinctively different about a disciple of Jesus Christ. Paul would write to the Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now listen to what he's saying. He's saying, do not be conformed. That word is pressed into a mold. That's what everything in you that's fleshly, worldly, earthly, That's what this culture is saying. Don't get out of line. It's pressing you into sing the same song as everybody else. March to the drumbeat of everybody else, whatever that is, political, moral. Don't step out of line. Do not be conformed to this world. But Paul says, here's another way. Be transformed. The exact opposite, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the way for us, child of God. So what do we have to do every morning? Present our bodies. Lord, here I am a living sacrifice, always trying to crawl off the altar and go back to serving King me every moment of the day. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a very good offering prayer every morning for a believer. Here I am again this morning, Lord, and I'm offering to you myself again. I present my body to you. I give you my mind. Help me today. Now, a few important observations about this passage. It begins with therefore, so that means in Bible study, you have to understand, well, if therefore is there, it's connected to the previous passage. It's connected to the context. 
In the previous section, Jesus primarily addressed those who had the ability. They had the luxury of storing up treasures on earth. They had something to say, well, what am I gonna do with this? Am I gonna give it to the Lord? Am I gonna invest it? Or am I gonna spend it on myself? They had something. Now Jesus is moving into a different group of people. Now, last week, just a summary of the message, Jesus challenged us. He instructed us, don't pursue treasures that are uh, earthly. Pursue heavenly treasure. This summary will come up on the screen. Pursue sight that is good, not evil. And pursue living for God, not materialism. In last Sunday's sermon, there are, sermon, there are two masters in each of those categories. Light, darkness, God, materialism, or heaven, earth. Which do you live for? Which kingdom are you living for? One is eternal, one is never-ending, one is very, very myopic and temporary, passing. So the person might actually then ask the question, well, how will I know which kingdom am I living for? Someone could very well ask Jesus the question, um, how do we know? How will we know which master we have? What do we fear losing, beloved? When you think about losing something that matters to you, what comes to mind? And if you lose that, it, whatever, fill in the blank, does your life cease to have purpose? Is it all over? What's the point? I lost my job, that was my reputation. A, a loved family member, that's it. It's all over. A relationship. 401k, everything that you had stored up and, and, and a business partner just, just wronged and took it all. And now, it, does your life still have purpose? What is it that you are fixed on? This is where we find our idols. And idols are not just when you look down your nose at other nations and they have little statues of animals and, and created beings. Idols are what what we're driven by. And they're often good things like food, like wealth. It's not wrong. Love of money is wrong. Our sexual appetite, our drives, everything has a potential of being misused and abused and misrepresent God and lie about his character and lie about his nature. What are the idols of your heart? You see, when we understand, if I'm fixed on the Lord, if my eyes are fixed on Jesus, can I ever lose him? No. So do I ever lose my purpose, my reason for living? No. It's secure, it's guarded, it's kept. But everything else, it's not I may lose. Everything else in this life, I will lose at some point. So that doesn't mean it's not valuable or these relationships are not valuable. They are not most important, and that's the difference. The one who made me is most important, but how easily my eyes can drift from him. In Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Jesus turned his focus toward two different types of individuals. There are those who are concerned. They have wealth, and they can't get enough wealth. Wasn't it Rockefeller? How much money? It's a rich man, just a little more. 
They need more. I have, but I want more. And they're consumed by acquiring another company and acquiring more property and more. When is it enough? It's never enough. But then there are those who don't have and they struggle to get by and they're worried about how am I going to feed this family? How am I going to clothe this family? How am I going to give shelter to this family? And so Jesus now moves into this realm that is, these are important issues, but they're not most important. And that's helpful for us to understand these, this teaching. The command, do not be anxious, is repeated three times in this section. That's how we're going to divide the sermon up this week and next week. Jesus is a good teacher. Repetition. Repetition. He says it again. That's what men need, right? That's what men need. Our wives know this. They have to say things to men at least two times. They have to say things to men at least two times. What was that you said? Uh-huh. You need a third, right? Okay. Jesus says three times, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. He asks five questions in the section we're going to study today. That's a master teacher. When someone is consumed with worry, do they really need more information and lectures? That's probably not going to be most helpful, contrary to those of us who love to show up and provide information and facts. You, you know who we are, right? <laughs> Switch how that goes there. What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Are we tempted to doubt the goodness of the Lord? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Easy to do? No, not at all. But that's where safety is. That's where blessing is. Now, there's another aspect, and it's important in the context of this passage before we get into this, and that's the tone of Jesus. And I wonder, how do you hear Jesus speaking these words? Is he coming across like a drill sergeant? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do you think that's how Jesus is speaking? I, that's how I can, you know, try to get things done. That's not the right way to mow. Whatever, it, you know, fill in the blank. How do you hear his voice? Do you hear the tender compassion, the same compassion that children are like, can I go sit on Jesus' lap? Disciples, no, you can get away from him now. And if you parents were doing your job, you would keep the kids quiet right now. And what does Jesus have to say? Disciples, boys, fellas, chill down, cut it out, knock it off. Come on already. Kids, come on over. Woo! Jesus. Can you, would you like to see the children looking at the disciples as they walk by them? Excuse me. <laughs> Jesus said I could get in there. I'm going. Got any fish? 
got some lunch from last week. Like, the kids got it. So do you think that Jesus abandoned that in this teaching? That genuine love and concern that children gravitated to him? He's letting them know, he's letting us know, no matter what happens, you have a father in heaven who loves you. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him because he's good. And Jesus is communicating this to his hearers and they wrote it down inspired by the spirit because for 2000 years now, there have been Christians who have struggled with anxiety, worry, fear, but there's an answer. Matthew chapter six, follow along there in your Bibles, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more, more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Aren't you thankful that you can gather and hear the word of God read and that you have a copy there with you? What are we gonna unpack in this message and God willing next Sunday? Disciples fight anxiety. All right, we fight anxiety, how? By listening to Jesus. And when we listen to Jesus, we're gonna learn where do I need to look? Where do I need to fix my gaze? Where is my attention devoted? The old chorus was written by Helen Lemel. It was written in 1922. This woman was very well educated, very well trained in music. She married, I found there's some, the picture I think will come up on the screen. She is from, for a, a time in life, she lived where I grew up in the Wisconsin, Racine, Milwaukee area. And then she developed a sickness that led to blindness. 
And her husband bailed on her and said, I'm, I, I'm, I want to travel and this is holding me back. And he left her with two children. Because when we sing a chorus like, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, that's easy for us to say, oh, that, that was probably, you know, written by somebody who was just having a, a really nice life, and, and they just thought about the goodness of God. And we don't maybe understand that she wrote that having lost her eyesight. And out of a great trial... And out of abandonment, she finds filtered to the top a sight that is not physical, but is spiritual that allows her to see everything more clearly and to see with spiritual sight how quickly fading the things of this earth truly are. And though her husband abandoned her, looking full in the face of Jesus, never abandoned her. She died in 1961. That's one year before this church was founded, 1962. Think about this. Her life inspired. This came out of a devotional that she was reading from a missionary that she was reading, and, and this, this song comes out. Often God brings great melodies, great, great truths, songs, worship, out of deep trials and tragedy. So what do we learn from Jesus? If we're gonna fight our anxiety by listening to him, number one, do not fret about your life. Do not fret about your life. So we're gonna need a place to focus our attention and Jesus is giving to us that, that place. Look at God's providence, his care, that God provided. You may know of the, the town, Providence, Rhode Island, named after God's care. He provided. He carried us through. We had no hope, and the Lord provided. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. This section, it's connected to the section we just finished. So beloved, if our money, if our career, if our pleasure, if good health, family, sports, accomplishments, if anything else other than Jesus Christ owns you, owns me, then we will be anxious because we will lose all of it in time. Sooner or later, everything that is materialistic flies away. Can't keep it. Now, if you have a King James version, it says, take no thought. And that understanding the language has changed. That could lead you at face value to say, so I'm not supposed to think about what I wear? Now, my wife would say that sometimes when I come out dressed and like, well, you didn't think about anything. Let me think for you. No, not good, okay? So is Jesus saying, don't think about what you're gonna eat? That's like half of my day thinking about what I'm gonna eat. No, he's saying don't be preoccupied by it. Don't worry about it. Don't be consumed by it. 
Don't be overly thinking of it. Elsewhere in the Bible, we learn that you're to take, you know, if a, a lazy person, go look at the ant, you sluggard, and consider her ways. There's a really, you know, have that tattooed on your arm. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. You know, I'm struggling with laziness. So there it is. That's my reminder. Don't be a sluggard, you know. Consider her ways. Think about her ways. But then Jesus says, take no thought. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Anxiety, worry, fretting, they're all expressions of being held in fear rather than what's the option, what's the alternative? Bring all of those cares to our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's the filtering where I'm taking those cares, those concerns, and I'm submitting them in perspective to God and to his glory and to his kingdom, all according to his character. Are we able to cast all our cares upon him? Why? He cares for us, Peter would write. So beloved, God has given to us life and a body. He's given to us. He's provident. So what he has given to us, what, how did you get here? Did you fret and worry to arrive on this planet? No. So then how will worrying help keep you on this planet? It doesn't, but leave me alone. Think about this. What do you see in the mirror? Do you see where Jesus is beginning? He just asks these questions. Do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, nor about your body. Think about this. He's just going personal with us. Where do you and where do I look for approval? We all need that. Children need that. They want to hear from the people that they love, I'm so proud of you. You did a great job. They don't look forward to hearing, you know, you should have. You know, when I played that sport, yeah. Oh, thanks. When I was fishing, no, you weren't. Grandpa already told me, you, you lied. You was that big. Liar. Okay, we want to be affirmed. That's, that's what parents are supposed to do. Affirm rightly in everything they can their children for the glory of God. Child of God, do you see when you look in the mirror God's masterpiece? Some of us men don't really care too much. Ladies, you care about this? Is Jesus saying, take no thought, roll out of bed, Put some clothes on that are nearest in whatever hamper. Roll out. And when people say, what happened to you? Hey, I'm just obeying Jesus, taking no thought. Is that what he means? No, that's not what he means. So don't be worried about it. Look in the mirror and realize that someone made you. We're familiar. It'll come on the screen, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Here's our salvation. We think about this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, the spiritual work. It's not your own doing. 
It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So the spiritual work done in us is all of God. We can't boast in any of it. And then he transitions and he says, you, in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. The word there is masterpiece. This is spiritual. This is you're made in the image of God and you're being recreated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has given to you, God has given to me a life and a body. Let's unpack these. The eternal value of the invisible. Okay, let's start there because that's where Jesus says he's been given, you've been given life. You've been given life. This is our soul. He's given to me my soul. You can say that. He's given me a soul. This soul will live on forever. You know the old saying for kings, O king, live forever. We all do. Either in heaven or hell, we all do live forever. God has made human beings in his own image. Imago Dei. That's the, we're made in the image of God. That's why there's intrinsic value to every single human being, no matter what race, what ethnicity, no matter what country they're from, they're made in the image of God. So every life matters because every life is, a re- is made to represent the God, the God who made them. And when we lie, we're We're not representing God. When we're jealous, when we're covetous, when we worship idols, we're misrepresenting God. When divorce happens, when lust happens, we're misrepresenting God because God will never in Christ be unfaithful to his church. He will never abandon his church. And so whenever sin is always a misrepresenting, it's lying about God. That's why it matters to lie because God doesn't lie. And we're made in his image for a reason, for a purpose. Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden. He was God's representative. It all belonged to God, but Adam was a viceroy. He was a representative of God. He was made different from all the animals. He was a living, thinking, creative being. He had an imagination. He was given the responsibility to be the steward of all creation. Animals don't do that. They don't form committees. They don't form police departments. They don't form city councils. We do that because we're made in the image of God and we have been given instruction from God. The king over all creation created man in his image, put Adam in the middle of this amazing garden. Think about a king in Persia having an amazing garden and putting someone in the garden and saying, it's all yours. You can live off this garden. You can have everything in this garden, but there's one tree in my garden and you can't have that tree. And Adam sides with the enemy against that king and he commits treason And Eve is deceived and Adam willingly disobeys and dishonors the king of all creation. And he sides with the enemy and says, I don't have to listen to you. I will do what I want to do. Would a king, an earthly king, have a problem with that? 
Oh, yeah. You know the guy you gave your garden to and said, don't in the one tree? He's out there eating on that tree. He sided with your enemies who hate you and hate your kingdom. Two kingdoms begin to unfold in Genesis 1, 2, 3, the very beginning of the Bible. And all of these things work out, are still playing out in today, the day we live in. We've been given life. Go with me in your Bibles. Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, these scriptures are not going to come up on the screen, but we have to begin here because this is the beginning. Because uh, we're tempted to say, but my worry, my fear, and we isolate that fear from God, his creation, and all of his redemptive work in history. And I know, but that doesn't matter because I'm consumed with this. Genesis chapter 1, just down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Beloved, do you understand that the attack that is going on gender understanding right now is an assault against the creator? It's playing out in the lives of people, but it's, I heard it compared this way, NASCAR. The cover on the car is shiny. That's not the heart of NASCAR. You have to pop the hood. All the power is under the hood. We are easily seeing all the shiny, all the, that's not it. They can still run the race without the hood. It's underneath. It's the system under there in the heart, in the world that is the driving force. And that's what Paul says. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, just what we see. There's principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high place, and it's all assaulting the creator. It's no different than eating of that tree in the garden that belongs to the king and siding with the enemy. So there's an assault on the family. There's an assault on the image of God because Satan hates everything that God has declared to be good. And so it plays out to the destruction of people who are caught in this. God blessed them, verse 28 says, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's all good. Then it drops down in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 7, an explain, uh, a further explanation of how God created man. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. Okay, that's what's different about us from animals. God breathed into us 
the breath of life. So this connects with what Jesus is saying. You've been given life. You've been given a soul. This is the invisible. This you can't see, but this will live on forever and ever and ever. And this is what is most valuable, but it's easily forgotten. Then Genesis 3, Satan comes in and the temptation and Eve is deceived and Adam willingly disobeyed. And I just want to read verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your, the serpent, okay, your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We're only three chapters in and God's plan of redemption. I will send a redeemer. I will send a conqueror. Adam, you didn't do my will, but I will send. Okay, now in a real fast forwarding way, every son that is born, think about this as you read through the Old Testament, that the people of God would have been waiting. Where is the Redeemer coming from? Where is this one that will do right? Where is this one that will conquer, that will set in order the kingdom of God, the creator? And Cain is born. Whew, that didn't go good. I guess he's not the Redeemer God was talking about. Can't be Abel, he's murdered. Seth, no all the way down, and you get to Noah. Noah, maybe he'll be our redeemer, and he delivers him and his family, and then he gets drunk. Yep, guess he's not the redeemer. And you move all the way down, and you get to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. No, they don't protect their wives. Well, he's not, that's not my wife, that's my sister. Okay, check, not the redeemer we're waiting on. We need somebody better than that, better than David, the shepherd boy, just committed adultery and murder. Check, not the guy. We need someone better. David, your throne will be established from your seed. And so the waiting, 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 the whole Old Testament is filled with where is the Redeemer? And then the Redeemer comes and the people of God say, we reject you. And this is the ultimate story of redemption because the one who is rejected is killed like everyone else has died and he then rises again. So yeah, his heel was defeated. His heel was bruised, but Satan through death, death is defeated. This is the gospel. So here's the invitation as Jesus is saying, you've been given life. Do you know why you've been given life? Do you know the God who gave you the life that you have, beloved? We've been given life. And James, the half-brother of Jesus says, James 4.14, what is our life? He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist. Your Bible might say a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That word vanish is caught away, taken from sight. Doesn't see, it's not annihilation. It's not that you cease to exist. It's taken from the sight of the living. You're here a little while. Your life will live on forever. So it's utmost important that you know, where am I looking for my salvation? 
Beloved, we've been given life, but we've also inherited a sin nature. And as enemies of God, we're separated. And the psalmist in Psalm 39 and verse four, he says, O Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah, stop and think about that. Just a moment we're here. But God made a way. He made a way for sinners. And Romans, Paul writes in verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 32, that our Father has given to us his best gift. So if he's given his best, what is he going to withhold? I come back to this scripture quite often because it's so valuable in the life of a Christian, of a disciple. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Rhetorical question, what is God's greatest gift? Jesus. Did he hold Jesus back from you and me, sinners? No. So if he didn't hold back Jesus, what is he going to withhold from us that is best for us? Now that's the condition. I know what's best for me. <laughs> I've said many times, lying. So there is eternal value in the invisible, but beloved, this moves us then into the tangible here and now, and that is there's immense value in the visible. It's my body. There's immense value in what we see. The body has been given intrinsic worth. So we would do well to remember that the body, as Jesus says, is more than clothing. We're created in Christ and we're recreated in Christ Jesus when we repent and we put our faith and trust in the Son of God. So there's eternal value and there's immense value in the body immense value in the visible. Think about this. As we think about food, we think about water, drink, clothing, all of those are servants to us, but they all make horrible masters. If you become enslaved to food, drink, clothing, those three, they, any one of those areas can demolish our lives. There's immense value in the value of the body. This is what we see. This is the visible. So someone might say, oh, Jesus, isn't that important? What we eat, what we drink, clothes we put on, isn't that important? But Jesus is saying, yes, but it's not most important. Keep that in mind. There's certain harm. There's guaranteed danger whenever I'm controlled or owned by food, drink, or fashion. And whenever lesser things take over and take control, it can be a good thing. But when it owns you, 
and God is displaced, that is your idol. Living under the control of idols results in damage. It results in destruction because this is the person that is living with double vision instead of single vision. This is Martha and Mary. When Jesus was at the house, Luke 10, and Martha's in the kitchen doing what Martha did, serving, 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 banging dishes. <sighs> Wish somebody would help me. Nobody's helping me. All right, come on. Did you grow up and, and siblings weren't helping and you were doing the work and you came in and you said, that's all right, I got it. No, you didn't. You came in and said, they're not helping me. That's Martha. Luke 10, 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious, there's the word, and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So you can be the greatest kick, cook in the kitchen. You can be the greatest mechanic in the garage, the greatest athlete on the team, and there will come a point when that will be taken from you and someone else will supersede you and they will bring you the food and they will fix your car for you. For me, that's every, I, don't, I don't ever fix my car, so I've, I've never arrived in that status. Or the athlete will be re replaced by someone else and the debate will carry on. Are they the goat now? And sooner or later, they're at their own retirement ceremony and crowds are not cheering for them anymore. And for some, it is more than they can handle. Martha? Martha, you're distracted by so many things. I wonder if your name could go in there. And again, can I ask you the question, how do you hear Jesus saying that? Brian, Brian, oh, you're just so distracted about so many things. Oh. Do you hear him saying it that way? Or do you hear him saying, Brian, Brian, you are focused on so many things. Have you forgotten the main thing? Me. That's what being anxious is. It's getting distracted. God has given, past tense, a life and a body. He's done this. God gives, this is present tense, to meet the need of all creation this just happens all the time. I mean, what do you see when you look around? Look around at nature. Jesus is saying, go take a walk. Go look around. Find the robin's refrigerator. Find the, the robin's food pantry. That's silly. Yeah. And the Lord cares for them every day, every day, every day, long before you and I were ever here and long after we're gone and he's caring for them. Jesus is saying, consider the birds. Literally fix your eyes on the birds. Go bird watching. Look at them. I mean, 
what did that robin do to get that worm? All right, I'm calling all the robins together and our worm population is diminishing. So what we need to do is let's pass some legislation to have the humans stop fertilizing their yard with certain fertilizers. Do they even understand this? No, they do not. They go out, they find worms and they've been doing it for all of creation. The Lord has been, is, and will feed them every moment of the day. And Jesus is saying with all of these questions that he's asking and his, his big aha moment is, Check out the birds. No, seriously, look at that guy. Does he look worried? Is he panicking over? I think that was the last worm. I have a robin's nest at my house right outside over the, over the windows. That thing flies like he's going to fly into the window and whoop, right into that nest. He has nothing stored in there. Nothing. And Jesus is saying, I take care of them. Now, squirrels, on the other hand, that's another thing. I go in my shed. I find nuts from everywhere coming out of everything in my shed. They store up, store up, store up. So, so you know, there's wisdom there to store up. Those poor guys, they're just always working. Like, they can't ever have enough. So Jesus doesn't use them as an example. He says, look at the birds. <laughs> I feed them. I'll tell you, the squirrels don't, you know, they don't plant any trees. They don't prune any trees. They just get all the nuts off the trees. Listen to what Don Carson says. He says, the point is not that the disciples need not work. Pastor's message was awesome. I'm quitting my job. Wrong. No. Birds do not simply wait for God to drop food into their beaks. Jesus' point is they just don't need to fret. The robin doesn't sit in his nest outside my office with the beak open. If you're good, Lord, put some worms in. Goes out, finds the worm, brings it back. Goes out, finds the worm, brings it back, and is resting in the providence of God every day. And Jesus is saying, now listen to this. That bird on that screen does not have a heavenly father. That bird is fed and provided for every day because you have a heavenly father. Think about that. Your heavenly father cares about that bird. He doesn't have a heavenly father. You do. And that heavenly father that you have, if you have repented of your sin and come by faith and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's your heavenly father and he's good to birds. And Jesus simply asked the question then, if he's good to birds, don't you think he'll be good to you? Can't you trust him? Do you hear the invitation to get to know the Father in heaven that takes care of birds and squirrels and everything else in creation? How much more? Think about that. Are you not of more value than they? And the obvious answer is yes. They aren't made in the image of God. They don't have a soul you do. So trust them. Who can add any stature to their life by worrying? Worrying will kill you. Worrying doesn't keep you alive. It ruins your life. And Jesus is inviting to say, look at the birds. Trust, trust in your heavenly Father that cares for them. Psalm 139, verse 16 
The psalmist says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. To know this God, you knew me when I was being formed in my mother's womb before she even knew I was there. You knew me and you knew all of my days. So Jesus says, yep, check out the birds. And he says, consider the lilies. Consider the lilies. Think about them. Why do you need to be anxious about your clothing? The lilies of the field, they grow, they spread without working or spinning. That's all visual parallels to the person who's worrying and fretting and planning and more calendars and more post-it notes and more planning and planning and fretting and planning. And how is that going? Consider the lilies. And Jesus says that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And again, they don't have a father in heaven. They have your father in heaven. God's providence over all creation is on display everywhere we go, beloved. Here's the question. Can we even see it? Do we look at it? Do we understand it or do we ignore it? Are we blind to it? Can we not trust in our Father in heaven to supply our clothing when he does that to fields? Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So consider the birds. Consider the lilies. And then Jesus says, Consider the grass. Consider the grass. This is just plain and simple, the ground cover. This is what he covers dirt with. It's found beneath the flowers. It's pretty low. And listen to what Jesus is saying. God cares about making grass look good. So if you're a little bit obsessive compulsive on taking care of grass, Maybe here's your verse, like, hey, the Lord cares about grass. I care about grass too. But usually, we're trying to get all them little flowers out of our grass, all the weeds, dandelions, all those things. Do you know that chorus, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, came out of that thought of the missionary that Helen was reading about a dandelion? That if God so takes care of a dandelion, can I not trust him? Now, me personally, I'm trying to get all them dandelions out because they take over. But God's care, his creation, his beauty. Are you seeing a miserly, stingy God here? Know anybody that it's my money and I won't help and I won't share and that's your responsibility. I don't owe that to you. Do you think that's how God is? Look at the grass and what they get to wear. Does it look like the Lord is just penny pinching? Okay, here's a flower for your field. No, that's you and me. Stingy, self-centered, selfish, greedy. That's not our Father in heaven. And we're doubting him when we are looking more at our own situation and our own attitude than we are at him and how he has been so good to us. God cares. Think about it. 
Jesus is asking us to reason if God has gone through all of this trouble to take care of something so insignificant of grass, can you not trust him to take care of you? Will he not much more clothe you? It is his perfect love, his constant presence that casts out fear. So beloved, our trouble is not a lack of evidence when we worry. It's not a lack of evidence. It's a lack of, it's my lack of faith. It's my lack of trusting in the Lord. When he gets all the, why are you being anxious? Saying, what shall we, all of these verses, and he comes down, what shall we wear for the Gentiles? Seek all of these things. We're worrying. It's a lack of faith. Oh, you of little faith. The problem with my worry, with my anxiety, is theological way more than it's biological or physical. Mounts says it this way. He says, at its core, worry is practical atheism. What is atheism? God's not there. When I worry, I'm being practically an atheist. Or practical deism. Oh, God's there. I believe in God. I sing to God. I give to God. I'm a member. I belong to God. But deism is God created it and they believe he walked away. That's why there's evil in the world. And so when I worry, it's, I know there's a God, but he's gone. He doesn't really care about what I'm going through or practical finite theism. God is there, but he's impotent. God's there, he's good, but he can't help me now. He can't do anything about this. Sinclair Ferguson, he explains it this way. He says, the problem with anxious people is not merely that they think negatively about life. It's much more radical than that. Anxious people think untheologically about life. Their mistake is not that they have low self-images. It is that in all their thoughts, there is no room for God, Psalm 10.4. It is only when their focus upon the Lord is restored that they can finally experience the conquest of anxiety. Where are we looking for help, validation, affirmation, acceptance? I'm okay. I've arrived. It's going to be okay. Where is that coming from? If it's coming from, I've got enough in the bank. I have the car that won't break down. My kids are, I've done well. Anything. My career is good. You can lose it in a moment. But if it's in the Lord, where's our focus? So, beloved, we can look to the future, and at the end of verse 30, we see the future God will give and supply all our need. This is what Jesus is teaching. He has given. He is giving every day. He will give and supply all our need. So the question for you and the question for me is, will you look to your heavenly Father? Will you look to your heavenly Father? Or will we put our faith and trust somewhere else? He's not the father of birds. He's not the father of flowers and grass, and yet he provides for them. 
Everything that God does is good. So we sing the song, even when I can't see it, you're working. You're always working for our good and for your glory. He provides in extravagant ways because that's who he is. He's a good father. He's not stingy and he's not begrudging like I can be. So the question for you, the question for me, am I worrying or am I trusting? Am I fixated on what's wrong or am I taking what's wrong to my Father in heaven? I can't be doing both. It's one or the other. Which way are you looking? He's your Father in heaven. If you know Christ as Savior, can you trust him? He alone is trustworthy. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And that doesn't mean that everything that happens is easy or painless. Look at what happened to Jesus. But that was for our good, beloved. So you can trust him. The question then is, will you trust him? Have you trusted him? Will you trust him? 1 Peter 5, Peter writes, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. He's got the mighty everlasting hand. It's right to humble because he's the deliverer, he's the rescuer. And then Peter says, trust me, cast all your cares upon him. Why would we do that, Peter? Because he cares for you, verse seven says. You hear the invitation there? Peter learned this. Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. Come on, Peter. And he gets out of the boat, he walks, and then he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and what happens? He begins to sink like a rock. Save me. And whose hand is there? Do you see what Peter is communicating? Do you know whose hand caught me? It wasn't my own, I was going down. His hand exalted me in his time and he wasn't done because I hadn't learned to trust him. But you know what I learned when he said to me, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you like me? Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things and you know that I love you then feed my sheep. You know what he's saying? He's holding me. And if you will come to him, he will hold you. And if that doesn't cure your anxiety, you don't know him. You're not trusting in him. There's more to learn of him. And so he invites, come get to know him. So listen, beloved, this sermon is not, not, not about you need to try harder not to worry. You need to do more in fighting against worry. It is all about where are you looking to you to when worry comes and it will come and fears do come and anxiety does come. And if you see those as serving, as pointing you to, what am I gonna do with this fear now? What am I gonna do with this worry now? Am I gonna try to handle this like I have failed and done so many times? Or am I gonna let this fear, let this anxiety drive me to my Father in heaven and hear the words of Jesus saying, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Why? I've got you. You have me. What do you have to fear? That's the heart of this.
So if we take this away and we think about questions, how do we apply this? How does this work out from here forward in our lives? These are some questions that might be helpful. Think about where or when you are tempted to worry. Where does this happen? Where are you most tempted to worry? That doesn't mean that what you're concerned about is not important. I would argue that it is important. But it's pushing you, prompting you to what's most important. Look above it. Go above the grass. See the, see the lilies? Go above the lilies. You see the birds? Go above the birds. You see the creator who's your father in heaven? He'll care for you. When are you most tempted to worry? And then this. Have I considered worry a sin and repented of it? Well, now you're making us feel bad, pastor. No. If there's something wrong, you want a doctor to be able to diagnose and say, we found what's wrong with you, and here's the cure. That's why Jesus is saying, no, no fear. Don't fear. Don't fear because he can actually provide what gives us the ability to not live in fear. He's not impotent. He's not gone on vacation, unconcerned. And he is present in every trouble. So then this, what is my next step? Make it personal. What is my next step to apply this teaching? It might be as simple as find someone to take your fear and pray with and say, Lord, you know what I'm dealing with and you know how I struggle. And you find someone, you pray with them and say, hey, let's pray. And you take that request to the Father in heaven and he will hear you and he is able to deliver you. And that is what calms my anxiety because I can't do that for you. I can't do that for my family. I can't do it for me but I have a father in heaven. And you, we together can point everyone to him. He is good and he is able. Let's stand together. Father, humbly, humbly we bow before you. Father, help us to cast all our care upon you. Forgive me, Lord, for all of the times when I've not trusted in you, but I've tried harder. Father, I pray that this sermon will go forward in such a way that it will be useful in your hand. May anything that I've said that is not helpful by your standard be forgotten. May everything that I have said that would be helpful by your standard never, ever be forgotten, but may it bear fruit in our hearts. I so thank you for this congregation. I thank you for my family, and I thank you for a Father in heaven who has sent Jesus, his one and only Son, the greatest gift. And so I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt if he has given Christ, he won't hold back. You won't hold back anything that is good, but I can trust you for what you say is good. So when I can't see your hand, I can trust your heart. May we do this together. And may we cast all our cares upon you, knowing, believing, trusting, hoping, realizing that you care for us in ways we could never imagine or comprehend. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. 
please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.